Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I am honored to be here, coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Happy Labor Day, everyone. That's right, today is September 6, 2021, and it is the first Monday in September, everyone. Now, if you caught last week's Fresh from the Field Fridays with myself and Dan, the produce man, we chatted about corn, watermelons, and all types of things you can barbecue on this last weekend of summer. All right, all right, now calm down, you barbecue enthusiasts. I know you are still gonna be barbecuing all year long. Now, this week, we have Southeast Produce Council Southern Innovation in Savannah, Georgia, Wednesday the 8th through Sunday the 12th. Don't forget to check out the Produce Industry Show on YouTube because we will be live from Southern Innovations in Savannah, Georgia, Friday, September 10th, 2021. I want to give a huge shout out to all of our sponsors, Terra Exports, Ag Tools, Indianapolis Fruit Company, Buck Naked Onions, Flavor Wave, John Green Logistics, Noble Citrus, Equifruit, and our brand new sponsor, Arctic Apples, everyone. Today we are mixing it up a bit. We are bringing cannabis into the produce and supply chain, everyone. That's right, we have Seven Point, a large cannabis cultivation facility located in Woodlake, California. I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Wayne Bishop as CEO at Seven Points. Hearing from Wayne about top shelf flour and how they produce their own branded flour, I had to hear more about Seven Points. Let's not forget that he bought the old Sun Pacific Cuties building right there in Tulare. So everybody, without further ado, let's get Wayne Bishop on the line and talk all things cannabis. Hey Wayne, welcome to the show today. Thank you Patrick, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I am excited because it's all about opportunity and relationships. And when my buddy Michael Chavez came to me and said, Patrick, there's this new business in Woodlake. We're seeing it going up. You got to get in touch with these guys. And I'm like, well, who are these guys? And he's like, seven points. I'm like, seven points where? I was like, is this like one of those extra three shots that you get in Space Jam the where you get the extra shot, seven points? He's like, no, man. He's like, there is a cannabis grower that is right here here in Woodlake, California. And Wayne, I've told you off the mic, man, I'm, I'm right here uh, in Tampa, Florida, but I'm born and raised in California. I lived in Exeter for almost 14 years. So huh. I was like, well, we got to get Wayne on the line. We got to talk about his business because one, everybody, cannabis is in the produce industry. You might think it's not, but guess what? It grows on a tree and it gets consumed some way, somehow, everybody. So Wayne, it's been uh, fantastic to get to know you off the mic and just have you on the show today, man. Thank you so much. And I'm actually honored to be here and a pleasure to be speaking with you. And uh... yeah, man, I mean, listen, it's it's a lot of times when we, we talk to the produce and supply chain industry, it's like, hey, it's a first timer for me on the podcast. And it's like, well, yeah, because we are in an industry where we're servicing consumers through business to business outlets. And as the last 18 months has shown us, Wayne, uh, that now we're starting to develop more direct to consumer outlets. And mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out how to market that, how to get involved in that, right? And, and a podcast is a, is a media function to be able to do that. So I think this is great for the produce and supply chain industry, everybody that's in the industry. And I'm just glad, like I said, cannabis has been on my radar for a long time. Heck, when I was talking to Chavez, I was like, hey, a lot of these associations, a lot of these places, they won't touch them. 
because they've got these big level sponsors weighing that are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't be talking about that illegal substance over there. We, we can't be bringing that in. We, we sign these little rules that say all of our employees will be drug tested. And you're just like, you or guys are missing the boat on opportunities. So I want to give our listeners kind of like a 30,000 foot overview of your organization, right? You know, and, and really why you decided to, to bring this to, to Woodlake, California and to the industry, man. Hey, so just one quick point. I think I want to make what you just said about drug policy and drug testing. So we actually do have a drug policy uh, and it's that you have to try it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, So where I need an application, sir. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, That's that's a good drug policy. (laughs) All right. So the reason why uh, we came to Woodlake, which is kind of an odd place to be, but so originally the story goes like this. I was, I had been doing energy for like 20 years uh, or 30 years, probably now. Um, and then uh, my dad was a user of cannabis and he was a paraplegic and then he passed away, uh, but he was a user. And so he passed away and left me a little bit of money and I wanted to repay it back into the space. And so I intentionally started to step away from energy and get into cannabis. A mutual friend of mine introduced me to uh, this wonderful family investor that I work for now, who also was interested to get in the space. And so we both had a mutual interest and we just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And uh, I made one pitch deck to them and they liked it. And they said, hey, let's start looking for property. And so I was looking in my backyard. I was living over on the coast and they were looking in their backyard, which is here in the Central Valley. And uh, they ended up finding this old citrus pack house that uh, we now own that used to be owned by Sun Pacific. And ironically, this is where originally the cuties came from. Mm -hmm. So it's all about citrus, right? And it's about being in this farm community uh, and being in the citrus belt. And so uh, this facility had a lot of infrastructure, but it was in really, really bad shape. So it had been shut down for like seven years. I mean, literally they walked off one day, turned the lights off and we showed up seven years later with all the equipment still here. There was 200 tons of pack equipment in the building, all the dust, all the cobweb. And we crawled over this thing for like two hours and they said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, it's got all the right bones, but it's going to take a lot of work. And literally 24 hours later, we closed escrow and we've been going ever since. And we took this building that was originally in the county it wasn't even the city who had regs, cannabis regs approved. And we had to annex it in. That can take a year or two, but we did that in about four months. And then we started cranking on the permitting. And I did all the permitting and I let up all the construction because I have a class A license uh, in California. And from the time we bought this old building to the time we had our first harvest was 18 months. And that's moving pretty quick in the space. That's why we're here in Woodlake. Uh, we found this beautiful location. We repurposed a building that had been shut down. We've been generating revenue uh, to the state and to the local community uh, ever since we fired the same back off. And it's been quite the transformation. Uh, Michael Chavez can attest to that because he saw it when we first bought it. And that's when I met Michael. Uh, he actually helped me auction off a lot of the pack equipment that was still here uh, to friends and family. And so that's how we met and that's why we're here. Um, but it, it's uh, it's been a super interesting time for us to be in this space and be developing cannabis uh, in this brand new emerging market uh, and to be some of the front runners, uh, you know, in the space. Yeah, so that's why we're here. I know that's a long story, uh, Patrick, but uh, to answer I could have kept listening every, when you, as soon as you brought up, and I know that you bought it from Sun Pacific. These are things that I know. It's that property right off of Avenue 344, I believe. There is a dead rat saloon very close to your operations as well that I know, a little bar, a little saloon that we all know. Um, but I actually used to buy out of that Sun Pacific uh, Woodlake house. So that's really? what, so yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, my, my family has been involved in citrus just as, uh, I'd say just as long as Mike's has. Um, my dad didn't uh, per se 
um, own the grower packer shipper like Mike did, uh, or Mike's family did like David's, uh, Chavez senior does, uh, my dad partnered with another grower right in Lindsay, California. So a little bit, you know, down the road there, uh, yeah. but we used to buy juice fruit and other commodities from all the big packers. Sun Pacific was one of them. And mm -hmm. I remember uh, driving, I used to be on, do you know where Spruce road is right yeah. there in Exeter? Yeah. Um, spruce is literally, you know, the, the light from where you leave Wood Lake and there's the Wood Lake sign to go right yeah. on 198, or you just go yeah. straight across, yeah. you know, uh, Laboo's used to have a citrus packing house right there on Spruce road, right there, man. Mm -hmm. And I used to actually, it's where I used to work. I, that's oh where, so when you were saying seven years ago, I used to be running over to Wood Lake and running to these packing houses and checking their juice and checking all these items. And I do remember that house and a lot of packing houses, Wayne, um, ended up shutting down. Uh, I say a lot, a few of them did and, yeah. and they did, they left their machinery. They left everything in there. And yeah. then they went in and gutted it later. Like I said, when you ended up buying it, it's like, they almost sold it like, Hey, here it is as is. And then you mm -hmm. had to get rid of a lot of the stuff that was inside because they didn't need it anymore. That, yeah. that, that, uh, that packing facility was a very old facility too, Wayne, very yeah, old facility. Is. I mean, old facility yeah. as in their baker's fist. Bakersfield facility, their Maricopa facility were brand new facilities that they brought on to start packing yeah. those, uh, this cutie uh, mandarins as well. Yeah. So I just think it's awesome though. Like, like you're, how you're saying, it's like, look at the opportunity that ar arose in that you're like, Oh, would like, yeah. well, look, there's a shell already here. Yeah. You're in an industry that you're not like in Humboldt County, right? Which, you know, I know some of the guys up there, um, but it's like, you're not up there. You're, you're in a completely different environment and you're surrounded by a lot of produce, man. And a lot of people that are moving a lot of volume in produce and agriculture. I just think the central Valley is a, a, a great spot. I mean, you say like, you didn't know about Woodlake. I think it's a great spot, Wayne. Yeah, no, it's funny because, um, and I, and I would, I would do this project a hundred times over again. And I think the reason why I say that is because specifically we're doing things that nobody else has done right so we're actually so this facility had all this infrastructure we had a bunch of power we had 3,000 amps of power here um we had eight acre site we had 88,000 square feet under roof and of that 88,000 we had a 22,000 square foot basement so there's really all these kind of cool attributes about this facility but we repurposed everything we could and when I say that I give you an example so all the cold storage got flipped over to flower rooms right all that refrigeration was here but it was old school r22 style refrigeration the, the degreening rooms we used to green the fruit at and inject them with gas. Those all got flipped into flower rooms because those had refrigeration built into them as well. And then the loadout warehouse uh, had refrigeration. So that's now our nursery. And so we reused all the space that had cooling capacity already existing. And we repurposed it. We, re we fixed a bunch of stuff that was busted. Uh, you know, we epoxy coated all the floors. We put brand new lights in. We refurbished all the R22 refrigeration. Uh, but we're one of the few cultivators that I know of that's growing on R22 refrigeration and 40 volt three phase lights and have repurposed the, a pack house and growing in cold storage. So, I mean, these are things that are kind of, I think, attributes of who we are and what we've done, but that also gives us the ability to come on fairly quickly. Because I know guys that have been in this space developing projects for up to three years and they still haven't produced a single flower. So, you know, that's why I say I would do this again. I think that's what, I think those are some of the things that are cool about this project that are really attributes of who we are. And we still keep, farming and citrus very close to our hearts. So even the branding and who we are as a company, when you see us, you'll find a lot of similarity about the farming industry. You know, our, our investors are farmers, you know, we're in a belt, we're in a citrus belt, we're in a pack house that was citrus and all that still runs through to even some of the flour we produce. We try to produce tangy flowers. We try to produce very citrus flowers that are staples to even our brand 
that we've launched, which is seven points. Right. So we're trying to keep all this together and be cohesive about the environment that we exist in and why we're here. I love it. I love that you bring up the tangy. I've, I've been seeing that variety uh, over in Florida at some of their dispensaries over here, that tangy variety. It's got a, a, a like, a, you got to, I'm trying to like explain it in the right way. Cause it, it's not like, Oh, we got citrus in it. And it's like, you got like a citrus variety, but you do. It's like, there is a, there's a citrus blend in it that gives you that off I would say like that offspring hint of tangerine through your nostrils. I mean, that's the, that's the best way to explain it. Right. I mean, and I love that you say it like that because it's like, you're finding ways to interact and be part of the community as well. Right. And obviously you're, you're creating strange that strains um, that are going to be involved in your community. You go to a couple citrus guys and tell them you've got a citrus strain, a citrus variety. That's no different than blue moon integrating citrus peel in their beer. Let's be real here, right? I mean, it's a it's a marketing technique. It's a way to get the consumer uh, to be involved, and and that's why, like I said, there's been so much uh, stipulation. Um, and I'm going to bring this up, Wayne, is like all the crap on the uh, the nicotine, the flavored nicotines, right? Is because uh, they're they're trying to get to the kids, man. Let's be real. I mean, I'm not a fan of nicotine. I've never I've tried smoking cigarettes in my life. I ended up getting a ticket when I was 15 years old. You could ask my mom about this story to this day. She'll be like, I remember it was a $35 ticket. Pat thought he was cool trying to smoke cigarettes at the age of 12. You know, whatever it was, you know what I mean? And it's like you know, they're, they're focusing more of these flavors, uh, you know, to kids, which I think is completely wrong, which I, which I do right with the nicotine battle. Uh, I think when it comes, uh, to flower and cannabis, I think it's a healing. I think it's a healing aspect in life. I think it helps as you like you said, your father was a paraplegic and he was a, and a user. And you said, when we say user, um, we're not saying an addict, we're saying an active user of cannabis, everyone. And I think those are the things that really progresses because there are people that are in life. My mother-in-law is one of them that she would never do strains of cannabis unless it was probably um, written on a prescription from her doctor. Right. And I think at that point, if it was, and then there was a variety or a strain that you love, I mean, heck I'll throw it out there, you know, like blue dream or granddaddy purple or something, which we're going to get into later, but you throw those out there and it makes it enjoyable. Just like if you're giving Tylenol to your kid, right, Wayne, you don't want to give them the Robitussin one. You want to give them the cherry flavored one. Am I right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. And we find people that really enjoy it. And, and, you know, I think a lot of this industry is changing right towards the, the flavor of the, of the flower. You know, right now, most consumers will go into a dispensary and the first thing they gravitate towards is the THC number. You know, I want, I want something high in THC, which isn't, I think, you know, like I give you an example, like I wouldn't go into a liquor store and buy two improved alcohol, right? I go in to buy something that tastes good to me, something I enjoy. So I think what's being overlooked in this industry is really around what, what's interesting about this flower is the terpene profile and its attributes and the taste and, and, the, and, the, and the flavor that it leaves in your mouth, right? And so you know, talk about these tangies or you talk about these other unique exotic, uh, really cool um, terpene profiles, this flower. I think that's where this industry still has a little bit to learn. I think people are going to gravitate towards that direction eventually once it, once it becomes more sophisticated. You know, it's just like you and I want to go wine tasting. You know, we, we, we go towards what we like. You know, it's a Merlot or a Cab or a Sauvignon. Right? We, we, we go to these flavor profiles. And I think that's where this industry is going to eventually get to, but it's still not there yet. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's got to take time and it will take time. And that's why I'm glad we have you on the show today, because just like a navel orange, everyone, there are multiple varieties of navel oranges. There are multiple 
things, right? You got one naval or it's got a Washington, it's got a Fukumoto, right? It's got a Beck. There's all of these different varieties within this one variety, but then some customers, Wayne, if you go to uh, Korea, China, Japan, uh, they'll call you and say, um, I want a Barnesfield naval. And you'll be like, we stopped calling them that years ago, but they believe that this Barnesfield naval is a hybrix. It's got a lower, uh, lower acid. The peel's not as thick. And to the Asian community, they love it, right? So they think, oh, let's get this Barnes Field Naval. Uh, it takes time though, right? It takes time for all of these things, just like cherry varieties. I mean, Wayne, you're right there in the Central Valley. How many darn nectarine and peach and stone boot varieties do you see at the grocery stores? It takes time, right? And then once the consumers adapt to it, guess what happens? The marketplace accepts it a little bit more. Now, cannabis is a little bit different. Uh, government's still involved in this. But heck, guess what? One thing I'm going to tell you people is the government's still involved in crypto cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency hasn't been approved through all legislative in the United States. It has not. So it takes time for all these, all these things, people. So Wayne, this is a perfect time. Take a quick break, hear from some of our sponsors here at the Produce Industry Podcast, and then get right back in chatting with you about seven points. Welcome to Terra Exports, a fast-paced, entrepreneurial, and innovative, multinational fresh produce company with eight divisions worldwide that handle fruits and vegetables across 65 countries. Did you know that Terra Exports was featured three times in Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies? Terra Exports starts at the ground, literally, with the growth of the product at the farm all the way through distribution channels up into the end user. They take pride in their products, arriving fresh and damage-free, and they're there every step of the way, working alongside suppliers and customers who share in their common goal. Visit Terra Exports at www.terraexports.com, as well as following them on social media on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. If you get on their website, you can also check their availability calendars and all of the produce that they have in store. When you join Terra Exports, you become a member of their global team of thinkers, innovators, dreamers, and doers who are bringing a fresh approach to the produce and supply chain industry. So reach out to Terra Exports today at terraexports.com. Are you ready to enhance your skills? Every day we are tasked to make fast, effective decisions to keep up with the fast-paced produce industry. At AgTools, we take the pressure off of gathering data to help make your day easier and more enjoyable. Connecting the supply chain with AgTools is unique, practical, and easy. AgTools can be used from multiple angles of the produce industry, from farmers all the way to logistics companies. We call that 360-degree decision-making day after day. Visit www.ag.tools.com to gain more reliable and relevant data to see more, achieve more. And now, back to our show. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. It's always great to hear from our sponsors. Everyone, before the break, we talked with Seven Points, Wayne Bishop on cannabis. That is right, the first cannabis company we have here on the Produce Industry Podcast. Over 100 episodes deep, and I can't believe I haven't had someone on the line about cannabis. We're here today. Wayne, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Patrick. Glad to be back. Yeah, man, it's been great having you. I, I love the fact that we're talking all things cannabis. I love the fact, this is what I really love. I love looking at your website and seeing that 
they, it, it was the old Sun Pacific facility, and I love seeing it now. You still got orange in it. I love that your your logo still has orange in it. If I was to drive by today, Wayne, I'd probably think it was still a citrus packing house, dude. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny you say that because a lot of people still think that all of a sudden Sun Pacific came back and fixed up this old building for some reason because the orange is very similar to orange. Uh, it's you know our color scheme is orange, white, and gray. So still very close to Sun Pacific, and uh, even our logo that is on our gate and across our design, across our facility, is some degree looks like a citrus. And people go, "Wow, that's really cool how they branded the company." So it's funny you say that because we get that all the time. We're, oh, we're a cannabis company. Yeah. Why is there an armored guard out front? <laughs> it, these citrus people take things very seriously, and you know, if you go back, you know, Bar, you know, Burn Evans owns Sun Pacific, and it's like he's probably scratching his head and you know you know turning over in his sleep being like right now people think i'm a cannabis company i'm just trying to sell cutie oranges and you know now we got this but if you look at it if you do your aerial view which i love you're surrounded by orange groves dude like that's what's so cool about this it's like you would never expect this is a diamond in the rough this is an oasis you wouldn't expect this just to be in wood lake california as we talked off the mic these are things like, you know, the Badger area right up the street from us, right? In Woodlake, it's right up the street, you know, going towards, you know, uh, Three Rivers. There's a lot of areas. A lot of people used to grow up there, Wayne. Um, and I know when people think about cannabis growing locations, they, they tend to think like, oh, yeah, this guy's in his shed out back. Oh, he's in his third bedroom, you know, all of these things above. And, and I think that's why I, I think that traditionally the let's be real here and correct me if I'm wrong, though, but I think that the whether it's the government the tv wide you know spread news they make it look like this is such a bad industry to be in and the people that are involved in are bad then you look at this facility i'm telling you 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 take 20 people by this facility they're thinking like no guess what's inside of here guess what's inside of here they're gonna be like citrus graves you're gonna tell them cannabis and someone be like i was thinking that but i wasn't gonna say it right wait i mean seriously yeah no 100 percent. and i think it's kind of interesting right because we are in this farm community people wouldn't think that cannabis is being grown this is a very high-tech industry now it's a very it's i like to call it digital ag because that's what it's gravitated toward the whole way we cultivate this female plant is unique in itself and the process is very technical and uh, i would i would say that anybody that thinks they know this plant inside now it really hasn't had much time to play with it because uh, this even as an industry you know we still don't know enough about what this plant's capable of and i think hopefully one day you know when this thing goes federally legal it'll tie into you know, providing uh, relief for opioids, right? And I think the big pharma companies will step in and sort of take a heavy look at this industry and say there's there's real promise here and there's market share that we're losing. Same with the tobacco companies. I think they're going to start coming in eventually when it's federal legal and saying, you know what, now we have another complement to our business model. So, you know, who knows where this thing's going to end up at, but I think it's a fairly, fairly untapped industry and one that really has has a lot of promise with a lot without a lot of understanding of what its potentials are. Hundred percent. I think that, like you said, if you look at the uh, the nicotine industry, and again, everybody, parts of cigarettes, they're a plant, okay, but they have chemicals in that nicotine in cigarettes. There's chemicals. There aren't chemicals inside of cannabis, okay. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Wayne, but I'm pretty sure I'm speaking the truth here. These are this is all this is an all natural substance. So I think you're right. I think they're gonna try. You look at like a spliff, right? I mean, back in the days, they used to do spliffs where they'd put nicotine and marijuana inside of a joint. They'd call that a spliff. They'd roll that up because there is a 
I would say demographics that does not want to smoke the entire plant that they would rather have some nicotine in their joint or in their doobie. Um, that's what it is, right, man. And I, even to this day, I know gentlemen that smoke half and half. They'll, they'll literally roll with half CBD and half THC. And they say this because they want that blend. They want like a pure 50, 50 blend. So yeah. I totally see you. I could totally see it like 10 years walking into a store and they're going to have cigarettes that are like spliffs. They're going to be blended cigarettes with a small, right? Right, Wayne. It's going to be like a small percentage of THC to where it's legal in the stores. Yeah. And, and another thing that's kind of popular right now is the blunts and the blunts are basically a tobacco leaf uh, with cannabis inside. So you get a little bit of a high from the, uh, from the tobacco in relationship to the high of the THC and the combination is really kind of a different, unique experience. And a lot of people are starting to gravitate towards the blunts. And so it's a little combination of both industries. I agree. And then I think as you start getting up there, let's talk about, all right. So just so people know, because there, again, there are a lot of people out there that never ever talk or use this product because it's illegal, but let's talk about uh, some of the varieties because you grow uh, a few different varieties at your facility. And I want to talk about a couple of those. So I'd love for you to explain, you know, what your, uh, your go-to brand or your go-to the strain, sorry, grow to strain um, right there that you guys are growing uh, there in Woodlake. Yeah, sure. So we've run a bunch of different strains in here. Um, and first and foremost, before we get into that, so everything here is tissue culture uh, derived uh, strains. And so they're the cleanest in the industry you can get your hands on. So they all started from originally from a Petri dish and they got basically sanitized uh, with no bugs, no disease. Uh, so they're extremely healthy and vigorous and clean genetics. So we grow everything, um, like right now we have some stuff in, in production, uh, it's PB souffle, it's uh, peanut butter souffle, they call it PB souffle, it's, it's a phenomenal flower, it's got a unique nose structure, and unique bud structure, doesn't throw off a huge nut, doesn't throw off a lot of weight, so I'd say it's more of a boutique flower, but man, I'll tell you what, our buyers are just lined up, as soon as that comes off the assembly line, they're like, where's that PB at, we want to get our hands on it. So that's kind of a unique strain. Uh, you know, the Sun Pacific stuff, we actually ran some stuff. Uh, we kind of turned the name around. We did some genetics here internally. So instead of it called, uh, uh, we called it Pacific Sun. So we just turned the name around or ran around backwards and we had our own unique strain. It was a tangent. So it was smelt citrusy. So that was kind of a unique run for us. The Pacific um, Sun. You yeah. dog, you, man. That is great. <laughs> I hope I hope Bernie's listening to this podcast. I did, dude. I'm I'm gonna tag South Pacific in this. You know, my 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 dad knows Bird very well. I've I mean I've talked to him a few times in my lifetime, but I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna tag these guys in this one. But that's great, you know. To be not not Sun Pacific, Pacific yeah, Sun, right, and it's right. a tangy variety, everyone. That's right. So that's right. I thought we were kind of paying homage, but anyway, so we've done that kind of stuff. I would say we're running some really unique genetics through here right now. And I'd like to kind of throw a name out there. So we're actually running some genetics from Seed Junkie. And bless their heart. They're some of the best breeders in this industry. They've got a super well-known name and some, and some genetics that are just on fire. Uh, so right now, we just brought in some stuff from them. Uh, we're actually running four strains from them currently. Um, banana, banana cream cake is one of them. Uh, and then we're also running... Uh, Oh, shoot. Uh, we're running Oreos from them. Uh, I can't even remember all this stuff. It's really some unique stuff. Um, one thing we have run through here before, which is kind of a cool flower, a Sunday driver. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a played out flower, but man, it's a phenomenal plant. Throws off a lot of weight, great nose, uh, great THC structure. 
Um, but just, man, I can't even go through all of them. We've ran, you know, purples, we've ran citrus, we've ran just gassy purple stuff. And that's really what the market's geared towards right now. They're just gassy purple is what's on fire. And trying to produce a gassy purple flower is not always easy. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's already built into the genetics. So you get a, it's, it's interesting how the bulk buyers, like probably what the pack houses are used to are so much different than the connoisseur and they buy from two different perspectives. And so it's always, uh, it's always interesting to play the market between the two and what their buy points are and what drives them towards a purchase. But, you know, these genetics right now, the name of the game is genetics. So if you've got a good breeder you're working with, uh, it can make or break your business. And so, you know, the problem is there's so, there's so few genetics out there that what you end up finding is when you go buy, say you're buying clones from a nursery, you end up in the same boat with a bunch of other people. And so you really can't delineate yourself. So it's hard to find a different price point. And so we're always trying to figure out how to get out of that boat and how to have something different. So, you know, we've actually popped seeds from Seed Junkie. We're not getting in their clones from their genetics. And uh, yeah, really blessed to be working with those guys. Yeah, it's a lot of different varieties. So what would you say over the years? Because uh, I go, I obviously, you got to look at consistency, which is very hard. I, I will tell you, it's very hard on consistency, depending on where you, you get flower strains from. Um, there's a lot of different uh, companies out there that they produce these strains, right? And they have flowers for you. They have clones for you. And then sometimes, uh, again, you got to make sure you got the right, the right cloning agent, right? You got to make sure that they're going all the way back to the seed. I know it's all 100% traceable nowadays, um, but I agree with you. Uh, what would you say your most consistent strain has been throughout the years that you just love to grow? Oh, well, I would say what we started off with, which is an old school strain, was Docido. And that is Do-si-do. still Docido. Even back to this day, there's still a lot of crosses with Docido. We actually have a Docido cherry cross that we're running right now. But by gosh, who would have thought that thing would have stuck around for so long? You know, it's still a favorite, still an old school favorite. Um, some of the ACD stuff, ACDC strains are still around. Um, yeah, just, and it's kind of funny. I think, I think to some degree, you know, history repeats itself, right? We find ourselves wearing jeans that we never thought we'd wear or 10 years later, we're back into them. It plays that way in the same business, right? We're running some old school strains that are still sought out favorites, uh, that people love. So you never know what can happen. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent, man. Like I said, I, I I'm an old school guy too. It's like when I hear like blue dream, blue dream is like a strand that you could still get, but it's like if you get like an old school guy like me, when you say blue dream, I'm like, is it true blue dream? <laughs> yeah. um, and they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, Oh, I'm like, cause it's like, it's a hybrid. I'm like, but is it like a true blue dream? Cause you can get a blue dream and it could be crossed with, you'll know right off the back because blue dream yeah. has a very distinctive smell. It's got yeah. a very, I'd say consistent. It's been consistent over the years. You know what I mean? And I've always been a fan yeah. of blue dream. Same yeah. thing with the purples that you talked about. You know, everybody to, to get a flower to look purple, there are things, like I said, it's in its DNA, but it also has to do with weather too, right? I mean, how yeah. cold the rooms are, you know, yeah. what nutrients you're feeding it. And these are all things that go into growing a piece of fruit, everyone, just like if this was citrus or grapes or cherries or, or anything else. Heck, you know, Wayne, I just... Um, about a couple months ago, I had went to an indoor farming um, tour. You know, I went to a location and they grow all lettuce, tomatoes, um, berries, and it's exactly pretty much what you do. I mean, think about it. It's, it's all, it's hydroponic. Um, all sunlight comes from lights, you know, right? It's, they don't do soil. The nutrients are pumped in. So they got this crazy, like, 
it's like pumping like, mm-hmm. but it's just going along, just pumping nutrients into all the groves. And then they mess with the lighting. They yeah. make sure they have to control it and say, Hey, we give it 14 hours of sunlight because that's what it needs. We shut off the lights at this time. So it takes time. And that's a process, right, man? I mean, to get these things to do this, it's a freaking process. Yeah, it is big time. And that's definitely what we do here. It's a, we're break, we're basically, you know, we're an indoor grow. So we have to bring mother nature inside. Right. And that's a challenge in itself. Um, so, you know, for an example, in our nursery, right, we run a light, the photo period for 18 hours. So we're trying to vegetate these plants as fast as we can. So we go from the time we cut clones to the time we vegetate, we put them into flowers three weeks in the nursery. That's a very fast time to grow something from something that's about three to four inches high to something that's about two to three feet tall. And so that's how we do that. And so the light intensity is, is, is pretty high in there. Um, and then we're obviously, you know, we're, we're an indoor drip irrigation system. So we have a very sophisticated um, fertilization or fertigation skid. So we run a NetFM 3G system here. We make our own potions on site. So we make our own fertilizer potions on site, which is unique. Most guys buy fertilizer product uh, already made. We, we actually make it from scratch. Um, and then all this stuff, you know, is fed up to every plant through every dripper, all in an auto, automatic irrigation schedule. And then we actually have sensors stuck in the substrate that give us back uh, reading. So we're actually in real time, we're monitoring, you know, EC in the substrate, we're monitoring pH, we're monitoring the temperature of the substrate. And then we actually use that to crop steer this plant with. And so we get very kind of sophisticated as this plant goes from vegetative mode into generative mode and becomes a flowering plant. And then we change the light schedule to 12 hours and it instantly thinks it's flowering. So it instantly thinks it's fall as soon as we trip that photo period on. And so she starts to flower and then we start to change her whole irrigation strategy and her fertilization strategy all the way through she finishes to produce as much, if you will, fruit on that tree as possible. And that really, you know, we're always changing the bud size, the bud density, the bud structure. We're, we're playing with all this stuff with all these tools that we have to take this plant all the way through. And then we're also changing the temperature and the relative humidity in these environments consistently. We're changing those through the duration of flower period, which is nine weeks typically, uh, to where we get down towards the last two weeks, you know, we drop the room all the way down to 70 degrees. We drop the temperature or the humidity down to 50 degrees. And we can actually try to push some color into the plant by doing these kind of things. And we also purposely back off uh, on the nitrogen and we increase on the potassium and the phosphates and we start driving more flower so there's a lot of crop steering that's going on that's very sophisticated uh, and it's it is very digital ag. Like we have sensors monitoring all these temperatures and relative humidity and these EC substrates and we have this whole fertilization schedules that we're trying to maintain. So it becomes a very technical uh, crop. Um, and then the other thing you have to think about is, right, this all these rooms are filled up with a bunch of girls and there are a bunch of pent up hormones looking for a male and there's not a single male in the crowd. So there are like angry, raging females through here just trying to, <laughs> trying to reproduce so trying it's to reproduce yeah yeah exactly it's a funny environment to be in i was gonna say if anybody knows you know obviously female plants versus male plants you will know if you have a male cannabis plant there will be seeds all over this thing everywhere and it'll try to like throw seeds at, at the females too right <laughs> right i mean mm-hmm. i've been in, listen i've been in some some backdoor grow houses, Wayne. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> like I've seen, I've seen it. I've, I've, I've definitely have seen it all. As I've said, I, I've seen yeah. this this cannabis industry. But you know, the process is very important to everybody because it, it is the same thing. It's almost like food, right? Food is medicine, right, Wayne? Uh, we mm-hmm. look at that, right? Everything, you know, from citrus to vitamin C 
to carrots with your eyesight, you know, all of these different things that we see, right. And potassium it's food is medicine. So cannabis is definitely a medicine that's grown on a plant and you're procuring it the right way, right? Like it's a process. And I think that's, what's cool about it is being able to get on the line and talk to someone that's actually doing it. That's in the industry. Uh, again, it's not some backdoor operations that's, you know, selling to a club in, in big black plastic trash bags, which, which I've seen, I've seen yeah. that as well. I've been to some of those Visalia dispensaries, you know, almost 10 years ago and how they used to sell the dispensaries. It was amazing to me, Wayne. Like I said, I could be out in the dispensary as a customer, but then looking in the back and I'm like, what the heck? Like, how is this going on like this? So it's cool to see a process though, man. It's good to see that the industry is, is taking a leap forward. I mean, look, it, it seems like you've got technology rolling through this, right? You've got the warehousing rolling through this. It's industrializing the industry, right? And that's what I think that needs to happen. And once we get to that commercial standpoint, as I go back to the movie Blow with Johnny Depp and he's like, hey, yeah, I crossed this, you know, imaginary line, right? And the judge was like, no, that imaginary line is very real and you crossed it. The reason I bring that up is I think as we start to develop this into the industry and we start getting approval by the government, that little imaginary line will go away and we can have interstate commerce just like any other produce item and we'll be able to ship it around the nation. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's also one thing that's kind of cool about this little city Woodlake that we have a little, air, little regional airport here. And my vision is when this thing goes federally legal, we'll actually start taking our flowers, taking them on the plane and flying over to the next states. Oh, I love right. it. And getting it to you within four hours. Um, oh my gosh. Fresh flower. You know what I'm saying? And that, that to me is how you start to change the game. And I think it's how you gotta, you gotta be thinking about this thing, right? You start thinking about how Amazon does it, right? Eventually mm -hmm. one of these days we'll get to, a, we'll just take these things and put them on drones and fly them right to your house and drop them off. hundred percent. Right? Oh, hundred percent. Oh, yeah. yeah totally what, agree with you. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and also we need to get more sustainable, right? And, trying to make sure our carbon footprint is being considered when we produce flour, right? It's a very intensive energy plant. And so the more that we can go on to renewable energies and, and, and be more sustainable, reproduce, you know, use uh, recycled material for part packaging, you know, our product and these kinds of things, like we need to figure out a way to be this, to have this be a sustainable energy industry that could potentially actually have done well, could have a, a negative carbon footprint. And we're actually working on these things as we speak. So it can be done. The technology exists. It's a matter of how we, we accept those practices and put them in operation. I agree. I love it. I mean, look, negative carbon footprint, which is always a must, especially with these crazy millennials like myself in, in today's world, thinking about that, right? We want to make sure that everything is eco-friendly, that product that we are buying is fair trade, right? All of these things. We want to make sure the growers get paid fairly. We want to make sure what we're putting in our body is healthy. Um, so I love it, man. Well, you know, it's been great having you on the show today, Wayne. If anybody wants to get a hold of yourself or the organization to reach out, how can they go about doing that today? Sure. So we have a couple of ways you can reach out to us. So you can definitely go to our website. That's sevenpoints.biz. Uh, and on there, you'll find our our information is at info at sevenpoints.biz. You can always reach out to us there. You can also find us on Instagram at sevenpoints underscore CA. Uh, that's a brand new Instagram site. We just we just ramped up. Unfortunately, we lost our last site because Instagram took us down. Uh, and they don't really support this industry as well as they should. Even though we're probably one of the best legit operators uh, when it comes out to information about the industry and how we present ourselves, I think it's really unfair but you can find us on those platforms. You can find us through those avenues. We'd love to hear from folks. 
just last, you know, we just launched a mobile delivery about three months ago. So now we're taking it right to your home within three hours. We carry a thousand SKUs from this facility, not just our stuff, but all of our competitors' stuff. Uh, so in three hours, it's on your doorstep. We're servicing from Woodlake all the way to Bakersfield, uh, and then as far north as Fresno, and then everything in between. And that's the first time we've launched this business, uh, and we're, we're being very successful at it. We're being very strategic about our business and our approach to market, and we would welcome anybody to place an order and give us any feedback through our, through our website, because I think also how we're perceived is something we also want to take into consideration how we make the adjustments to the business. Exactly. I love it. I love that you're always looking forward. Everybody, Wayne Bishop from Seven Points. Wayne, great to have you on the show. And as I say, everyone, we'll see you in the field and on the horizon. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.